You're listening to The DAP Project. I'm your co-host, Rhonda Elizabeth. And while you're settling in, how about you hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts? And I'm your co-host, Aaron Stallworth. The DAP Project explores Black politics and Black culture as we chop it up with incredible individuals around the topic of DAP, the Black man's most nuanced and telling gesture. Our guest today is Adrian Ferguson, owner of the art gallery and event space, Art of Noise, located back in the cut in the Petworth neighborhood of Washington, DC. Adrian hosts art shows, jam sessions, discussions, movies. We talk with him about his goals for this space and the challenges that might've taken him out, but didn't. Adrian, welcome to the DAP Project. Thank you both for having me. I'm blessed and honored to be here today. All right. Welcome, brother. Glad to have you. What is your earliest memory of DAP? I would say it would be related to uh, the earliest memory I had would be at church, you know, and then uh, growing up and being around at, uh, shout out to Alpha Street Baptist Church. Um, they're just like a second home and a second family. Uh, and being uh, be able to call so many great African-Americans, uh, local and international as part of my village uh, has been a true blessing. Uh, I think the first earliest memory for me uh, was actually going to choir rehearsal uh, with my mother and hearing the choir rehearse for Sunday uh, on Saturday evenings at 6.30 p.m. to like 8.30 p.m as a small child with other small children in the pews making all kind of noise in the background, uh, being being just really just <laughs> a, a nuisance. But uh, that was that was my earliest convenience is every Saturday, uh, my mother would go to a choir rehearsal and I, she would drag me with her because my little friends would be there. And so it was with your friends there? Yeah, I did. Uh, my friends that I'm still friends with today. Uh, that we you know we would play together. We would imitate the adult singing. Uh, we would do everything. You're making me think of my early days at Ebenezer United Methodist Church in uh, East Texas. But I'm still trying to hear where's the exchange of depth. Did you you and your boys in, in the back of the pews in the basement? Where y'all at with the, with the depth? I mean, man, we were so Sunday school before Sunday school. They would give us they would give us donuts, right? And we would we would race downstairs to get them donuts. Right. And it was like, listen, Sunday school is secondary. All right, we're gonna get these donuts, and the first one down there gonna get the best donuts. You know, we if you got the best donuts, we're gonna put something on it. You know what I'm saying? And we're gonna figure out how to get the top donut. And that was <laughs> that was our social, that was our social dap, you know what I'm saying, every day. I mean every Sunday as far as communing, checking on each other, see how we doing, how are you feeling, what's going on at school, um, what's the new language, what's the new verbiage, what's the new mm -hmm. slang, um, did you catch the, the latest In Living Color episode, did you catch the latest Martin episode, let's act out some of the skits that we had, you know, and you got to give me the new slang, man. <laughs> I can take, right. so take it back to the, to the suburbs. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I like that. I like that. That's how the culture spreads. Our theme for this season is uh, is resilience. Mm -hmm. And as we thought about resilience, we think that there are three parts to it. There's a goal, there's a setback, 
and there's a recovery. Right. When you think about resilience, uh, what does it mean to you? Well, I think it means that, and I think it means that uh, it's the lessons in which life is trying to teach you, uh, in which every lesson that you learn, you go to another level, and that level teaches you a different lesson in which you have to master until you get in, in order to get to the next, that other level. So, I mean, it's, it's kind of like when I think about resilience, I think about not where I've been, but I think about not skipping the process and not skipping the struggle and knowing and embracing the struggle and the process as part of the story. The growing pains are, are so real um, yeah. in whatever it is you do because everything takes time and everything, and, and, and we live in a social media age where all we see is the final curated product. And we don't see the back end of the work and the time and the blood and the sweat equity that was put into this in order to get to this particular place in which it is. And so many people want to skip that process and say, hey, I want to do that. Well, this is what that entails. And then when we learn to embrace the process, I think we understand that we become resilient. So let's use an example from your personal story of going through the process and the process wasn't easy. I heard you describe your college journey and it entailed a few ups and downs. And please correct me if any of the story is inaccurate, but what I understand is that you really wanted to attend an HBCU for all the reasons that people want to attend a uh, historically black college and university. You're really excited, but then your guidance counselor is kind of discouraging you from pursuing that path. You did it anyway, following your heart. I did, I, I did. Um, and this was, you know, I'm, 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 I'm young enough to be young, but like I'm on the back end of a generation. You know, and then the people and a lot of my educators and the teachers that I would I had during school were close to retirement. So they have been teaching for 25 and 30 years, you know, well into the 90s and 80s and, you know, even the 70s. And they were kind of on the back end ready to retire. And I faced a lot of the old guard um, mentality when it comes to guidance counselors and teachers who, quite frankly, um, didn't particularly care for, for black students or black colleges. Uh, didn't see the need for black colleges. Uh, really didn't really see the need to even focus on black students. And, you know, to have a guidance counselor deter you from going to a historically black college or university is actually, you know, when I think about it, it was like, it, was, it wasn't traumatic, it wasn't traumatic at the time, but you know, it was it was very traumatic when I think about it. It's because here was this older, seasoned, educated, established man telling me that my goals weren't good enough. You got to tell me, is this a, is this a black enough. man or a white man? This is a, this is a Caucasian man, yes. All right, Adrian, I appreciate the qualifier then. Aaron about to go get him wherever he is. <laughs> Aaron about to go get him. <laughs> to claim UNCF and go get him. To hear somebody in that position discredit your heritage and your culture and your dream, you know, it means something. You know, I mean, that, that does something to you as a child, as a 17, 18 year old kid. And you saying, well, am I good enough? You know, am, am, I, am I qualified? 
am I am I am I able and capable? Which I really I really was, but you know, it wasn't until years later where I feel like, you know, some other educators and things stepped in when they heard what had happened, you know, and some other people within the school had heard what had happened, what he said and what he did. They had stepped in and said, Hey, that's not okay. And if you said that to one black kid, I imagine you said this to several black kids, you know, over the course of your career. But, uh, you know, nonetheless, having two parents that were HBC, HBCU graduates, um, the seed was planted, you know. And um, I'll tell you a funny story. I, was, I think I was like middle school or high school and school days came on uh, from Spike Lee. And I was just, and then I grew up in a time with like different world and, you know, it was, you right. know, and, and when Fresh Prince and Martin were all wearing the HBCU paraphernalia and, you know, back when there was a the glimmer of black pride in the nineties and, you know, in, in, that, in that time period. So watching that and getting that culture, I was like, I want to go to an HBCU, I have to be there. Mm-hmm. And then come from Northern Virginia where, diverse high school you know where we had a little bit of everything you know but it wasn't predominantly black but getting that seed of black excellence and black awareness from church made me further want to continue and expand that uh and continue an education at an hbcu so your choice was hampton Originally. So my, my, my first choice was Hampton, okay, and uh, Morehouse and Hampton were top choices. Mm-hmm. So uh, I originally, I got accepted into Hampton. I did not get accepted into Morehouse. They were not checking for you. We they can't were believe, checking, we, they were I find that hard to believe, oh, but there's a so, twist to the story. So tell us the twist. There's a twist to the story. So I was devastated when I did found out I couldn't go to Morehouse. I was I was devastated. I had went I had went down to the whole Candon in the dark. There's a there's a big award ceremony that they do every year. I had toured the campus two or three times, and people were heavily trying to get me to go to Morehouse. And when I didn't get into Morehouse the first time, that like that just I was like I I, I might have dropped a couple of tears. You know, because that rejection letter was like, you know, sorry, you're good, but you're just not quite Morehouse material. And, uh, you know, but thank you. Come again. Keep us in mind. Morehouse had a bar of excellence that, you know, I understood what it was and I tried my hardest to meet it. And uh, Hampton actually accepted me, no problems. They said, okay, well, you can come here. Your test scores look good. Your, your GPA looks good. You seem like you could matriculate through Hampton University well. So one of the recruiters up here, um, shout out to, to, to Henry Lookup Thompson, uh, who recruited me actually and, and, and rallied for me to go to Morehouse. There was a, uh, what they call the pre-freshman program. At, uh, at Morehouse. And basically it was for students that were kind of on the fence, uh, that had potential, but mm-hmm. they just had to show that they had, they were academically capable of Morehouse, the Morehouse curriculum. Uh, so, you know, I went there, I think it was like six weeks we had to go down there. It was hot, there was no AC. 
Um, we were staying in the old dorm. You know, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was a culture shock, unlike any other culture shock I've ever experienced in my life. The no AC uh, part. The no AC part. <laughs> Y'all just, in Virginia love some AC. I mean, we need it. I mean, there are, my tax dollars just got to have some AC. Yeah. <laughs> too much for, you know. But I mean, we were we were down there in Atlanta. I mean, hot Atlanta for real. And I mean, to this day, I mean, the, the guys I went to that program, I can pick up the phone and, and we just pick up where we need more. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I went to the program. I showed that I was capable of handling Morehouse caliber academics. Um, and they awarded me admission at the end of the summer. Yeah. So is that an experience that taught you to trust the process? And at it what is. point can you say, yes, I had to trust the process? Because surely when you're studying in those hot rooms, you are not trying to hear trust the process. It was a, a, a trust the process moment in which it was, you know, I don't know why my internet's not working right now. You know, I don't know why this network is down right now. And I got this, this paper to go through right now. I don't know why this calf is closed and I'm hungry and I'm starving. I don't know why, you know, but it's like, I gotta be here, you know? And the thing is, is that to go through all of this and not have a light at the end of the tunnel would have been embarrassing to me. I was like, it's unacceptable. So, you know, glad that I had made friends and brothers who which we encouraged each other along the way throughout that time to say, hey, you know, it's time to go to class. Hey, it's time to go study. Hey, it's time to go eat. You know, mm-hmm. we all had a common goal and we all kind of linked together under that common goal, which is to get full acceptance into Morehouse. Yeah. What's an experience that you had at Morehouse that makes you exceptionally proud of being a Morehouse man? Of your time being at the campus? So, it, it, was, it, was, it was so many, but... Um, I think one of the best times was uh, hearing um, Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but uh, he's a weather well-known preacher in Chicago. And he came to what we call Crown Forum. And I mean, his, his, his speech just changed my life. Um, what did he say? I mean, he was, he was, he was talking, he, he was talking about like the goal line. And, 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 and doing what a team has to do in the, in the fifth quarter to get to where you want to be in life. And he was talking about the struggles and the pains of what it takes in the process of what it takes to, to, to achieve your goals in life. And the things that is that nothing is going to come to you, you know, for free. And as a black man, and as a African-American, is that you got to be better. And you have to program yourself to be better. And, you know, one of those quotes that he said, well, I'll never forget, it was, it was actually by Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays that he quoted, he, re- he requoted. He said, in all things that you do, do them so well that no man living, no man dead, and no man yet to be born could ever do it better. Yeah. That's a mic yeah. drop right there. It is a mic drop. And I love that parallel to, as you, as you said, the fifth quarter, that, that's a direct parallel to you getting into the school in the first place because fourth quarter was admissions and, and you're not you're not accepted. You could have just said, okay, Correct. I guess Hampton is for me. But you, you went into that fifth quarter. You know, I've always had to work at my dreams. I've always had to work at a lot of things. There's nothing, 
I mean, there are a few things I could say as an adult, I say that comes easier to me, but like as far as the skills, as far as writing and creativity and different type of, you know, avenues that I say are natural skill sets for me. But for the most part, everything I've ever wanted in this life, I've had to work for. I've had to just lock in, buckle down and just work for. We're all art lovers. We're looking yeah, at the art behind you. We've been to Art of Noise. I love art because it can spark curiosity. You can look at a piece of art and really wonder what's going on? What is the artist telling me? What was the first piece of art that really sparked your curiosity? I would say uh, it was the album cover of Marvin Gaye's I, I, uh, I Want You um, on that album where they were all in the juke joint uh, from Good Times, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that was the first piece that I said, I, 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 that's really interesting, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and it captured a moment for me uh, between music and art. And I said, you know what, um, I like this. I liked I liked the portrayal of the black experience. I liked the portrayal. I liked the music on the album. I like I like the other side of the black life that I rarely get to see. So I mean, a lot of my a lot of my my interest in art comes from you know some of the the CDs uh, that I use used to collect and, you know, read and, and, and see the album covers. Outcasts used to have some amazing art on the, uh, on their, on their CDs and, 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 and in their books. Like, so, I mean, my, my direct correlation and appreciation for art is linked to music. Yeah. Any particular pieces or an artist piece of work from any particular artist that exemplifies resilience to you? I would say, the piece, uh, the, the the sculpture that's across, and I'm trying to think of the name. It's across from the, uh, I think it's the 16th Street Church in Birmingham, Alabama, that was bombed. Uh, there's a sculpture in that park um, where people are marching, and uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a man, there's a woman, and it's like thinking about that day and what happened and the bombing of that church and the, 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 the water fire hydrants and the, the time in which, it, which they showed the national, the national Guard that was out there like pumping people with fire hoses. And that was in the park across from the street from the church. And there's a, there's a sculpture and there's a, there's a sculpted piece there um, that really kind of reminds me of resilience based on that experience. You know, this is going to sound weird, but Isaac Hayes was resilient to me, okay? And when I saw his body wrapped in chains, in gold chains, uh, as a young child, uh, that really resonated as far as resilience to me. And creating... Because it was something, something changed means slavery, means entrapment, means bondage, you know, and to create that and to take that thing that's which is, that was meant to subdue you 
to create something beautiful and artistic and make it part of your piece. You know, really resonated with me. Like I was watching Dead Presidents. It was like at the end where Chris Tucker um, ODs, you know, and and like towards the end where like they're actually like in a shootout and it's like uh, Isaac Hayes is a uh, walk on by, you know, and it's like being able to see that and hear that and then see an actual clip of Isaac Hayes performing walk on by and hot butter soul in these chains, you know, really kind of put it was like, man, that's, that's, that's what our people do. We take, we take, you know, whatever's given to us, we take, we, 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 we take our circumstances and we create cream, you know, we create gold and we create beauty and we create love and we create passion. So Isaac Hayes, I credit Isaac Hayes to, to, to his voice, to, to his to stage performance, to, 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 to every, to a lot of things of which, you know, how music kind of created the painter, a picture of resilience in his voice. So, yeah, you, I mean, just those two images alone, as you mentioned, speak heavily to resilience. You know, the, the example you give with Isaac Hayes, but even the Marvin Gaye album cover, you know, for there to be joy and, and, and love and, and movement in that juke joint in a time where we know outside of those walls or not many blocks from those walls is, you know, hatred and racism and, drug addiction and all the sorts of things that speaks to the resilience of black folks in that picture in that juke joint. It does. It does. For a couple of hours you can you can you can unplug and unwind, you know, from the from the from the sport, from the tours of the day. And I, I think that was a, a perfect epitome of black life in its rawest form uh, that we don't always get to see. Art of Noise exists to help artists overcome an obstacle of finding affordable space. Now, I got to admit, I got hip to Art of Noise uh, just recently, even though you opened around 2017, 2018. Uh -huh. But what I quickly came to love about the space is that cozy community vibe. The first time that I rolled up in there, I had like a half an hour conversation with the sister about being from DC and high mm -hmm. school and all these things. So each time I come, I see old friends, I make new friends, you have libations that you share. So my question for you as the owner is, how does art bring people together? So art, art brings people together is because it creates dialogue and it creates conversation. It creates freedom. Uh, it creates it, it creates movement, and I think that art, good art, should always have a debate around it. Uh, it should always it should always when two people look at one piece of art, they probably don't see the same thing. And if they and if they don't see the same thing, that means it's a good piece. And it's a good piece, and it means that something the artist has achieved it, their goal of creating a topic and a conversation around that topic. Um, that furthers and continues with the onlooker. Uh, music, of course, that which is a big component, uh, which I always try to have some good music in the background, is 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 the bridge. I mean, people like music, with all genres. Good music has no color, it has no genre. Uh, it's just good music. 
And it also brings people to develop to, together to develop a conversation, to dance together, to commune together, to smile at each other, to move in unison together. Um, you know, when the electric slide is playing, you can't be sad, you know? I mean, but, you know, you can't be sad, you know, when, you know, when, you know, somebody, a kid born, you know, 15 years after me, who, you know, hears Curtis Mayfield versus my parents' age, who hears Curtis Mayfield, you know, it's the same type of feeling, you know, it's the same type of, wow, what is that, you know? I've never heard that before, or this sounds cool. Oh yeah, it does sound cool, you know? Uh, who is this? Well, it's Curtis Mayfield. And then it creates a conversation about history and culture. And so this is what good art does. It, 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 it adds to the culture through conversation and through and it creates interaction. I gotta say, and maybe you've experienced this as well, but there's a contrast between the community welcoming feeling of your space and other art galleries that I've gone into where that vibe in other spaces is more hush hush. Uh, I don't always feel like people are happy to see me walking in the space. People aren't necessarily saying hello. I don't always hear music there. So it's, it's very much a deliberate choice on your part to create that experience. It is, I mean, because I wanna, I wanna, I wanna create a place that you wanna come to. I don't want to create a place that you've already been to. I want to create a place that you want to come to. So, I mean, with the music and the art and then changing out the art and exploring different mediums and putting different mediums together and, and, and really, you know, being multi, you know, to encompass the wide spectrum of, you know, to really kind of explore the beauty of, of blackness and black art in this city and in this region. Um, I, can't, I can't be a traditional model. You know, you've been to this, you've been to a traditional theater before, you've been to a traditional studio before, you've been to a traditional gallery before. I don't want to do that. Yeah, because that's really stuffy. I it is really I stuffy. I don't go there and expect to have a really welcoming, you And know. engage, welcome, people are glad you came, you know. Yeah. There's no so, dap at those other places, like, no dap. No, no, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> dap in here. <laughs> well, the dap is why you're here. Yes. Tell me quickly the artist, uh, the art of, of the piece behind you. Uh, who is that, and how long will it be? So in your this studio? is this is this is this is a piece by John Lister the Third. The title of this show is called Revolte, uh, and the reason why the, the name of the Revolte Revolte is a French word for somebody who revolts, uh, somebody who doesn't accept the status quo, somebody who fights back. Somebody who takes the way that things are and repurposes them for things in ways that they could be. And uh, the title of this piece right here is called The King's Rage. So, you know, this is a, this is a, a dual show with him and Alonzo Robles Gordon, who is a collage artist. And the, the point of this show was to take our different realities and show kind of how it could be repurposed and remade through, the, through collages, taking our different realities taking our struggle as a diasporic people and rewriting and creating our new narratives through imagery. Uh, and, the, and, the, and the bridge in this show is the collage because he is a mixed media artist. John is behind me. Uh, and the title of this piece is called The King's Rage. Um, he has a lot of uh, Bosky influences, uh, this particular artist. Um, and, 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 and creating a new narrative through collage work. I mean, with, 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 Alonzo's work, 
where he's taking strips of publications uh, that have nothing to do with each other uh, and putting them together to create a new reality and a new narrative. I'm very curious uh, for that piece of art to be in the artist's uh, studio and then to end up in your gallery. What is that process like to go from? So normally when I interact with artists on the onset, people send me what they call a portfolio, okay? And a link to a portfolio, a website or something where I can see a body of work, okay? And then they basically, a lot of some artists, a lot of artists come to me and say, hey, I would like to exhibit in your gallery. You know, what was that take? But I say, well, hey, let me see your body of work. Let me see what you exhibited. Let me see what you've already worked on. Uh, everything is not always a great fit. Um, you know, I, I have said no in the past. Uh, or, you know, just say, hey, this, you know, referred other people to other galleries. Did you tell them to trust the process? Did <laughs> 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 you say no? <laughs> but listen, trust the process. It's going to no. come through for you. <laughs> It's like, you know, it's like everybody expects me to say yes, you know, so when they hear mm -hmm. no, it's like. And you're like, yeah, I, I'm going to decline. I'm going to decline because it doesn't speak to me personally. And I don't know if, <laughs> people, like, will, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know if people want to invest in this, you know, I don't yeah. know the people who, who patron Artinoise and the people who collect from Artinoise, I don't know if this would resonate with them. So, I mean, it's normally a process where I have a meeting with the artist um, and we talk about the ideas, about what it is they want to do or whether the, the, the exhibition or the show or which they, they wanted to show here at Art and Noise. Uh, and then we get together, they put together a proposal, uh, what they had in mind. We kind of go back and forth until we reach a happy medium. Uh, and then, you know, it's as we pick a month in which we can, can make this happen you know yeah and when that art does speak to you and it is a, a good fit for your for art of noise how does it feel when it's hanging I mean, on your it wall feels, it feels it feels amazing man. it feels it feels amazing to come in here every day and to see beautiful artwork from beautiful people from a local a local a, a, a local fountain producing this amazing work to have on your wall it's a blessing I mean, I've been able to meet so many quality and perfect and wonderful artists in this process that I have always, I've just, the amount of people and the artists and the personalities I meet, I mean, I can't, I can credit that to, to my white walls and being able to be a place and a platform for the people, so. Over the past 18 months though, as we've all have undergone the challenges of quarantine, an art gallery faced particular challenges. But of course, you persevered. We were just in your space in person. So my question is, how did you pivot during that time so that you could sustain the, the gallery? And what innovations emerged from the pandemic that you'll actually maintain because they turned out to be pretty good um, adaptations? So, you know, when people before before the pandemic, I mean, we were heavily a rental space. Um, people would come to us and they would rent our space for a myriad of private and public things, photo shoots, video shoots, which they still do, by the way. Uh, 
performances, workshops, um, casting calls, the whole nine yard. We would get rental increments for people to say, hey, I want to use all of those for X amount of hours to be able to do this. And when the pandemic hit, everything, all that stopped because we couldn't allow people in the space and people couldn't commune and people couldn't rent our space and people were scared to come out and it was really a shock. So how we had to pivot was really kind of really figure out how to really focus on art and art excels and art exhibitions. And I had to like go to school. I had to like be like, yo, you know, people are buying art. I need them to buy art so that we can survive. So how do I do that? How do I create a place in which they want to buy art, in which they want to come and be safe? So I had to create, I had to, you know, expand my website to create it and make it more user friendly. Uh, I had to create a shop on my website uh, so that people could buy art and see art online from the shop who weren't used to, who didn't want to come in or didn't feel comfortable being uh, physically in, in the space and really learn social media uh, and how to really promote and, and, and the right trigger words to say uh, in a post and, 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 and forget it to resonate. I had to pivot from being a majority rental space with some art to a majority art space with some rentals. It's, it was very challenging. It's, it's still very challenging at first, I mean, I would say, because one, everybody wants to put their art on the walls, right? And two, it's finding, which is the blessing, is finding, and, and, and which is the, the part of the process, is finding caliber artists, great artists that people actually are tracking and following and want to collect from. Uh, and learning those growing pains and what it means to collect and how do you reach collectors and how do we promote to collectors who aren't on social media. I spent eight months pulling my hair out trying to figure out how I was going to make it because I couldn't do events, which was my bread and butter. I couldn't rent the space out, which is my bread and butter. So I had to figure out a new stream, a relatively new stream. And it was either swink or swim. And I decided to swim. This sounds again like your pre-Morehouse moment. I'm yeah, hearing so quarter. many of those similar themes, you know, of this has to work. I have to figure this out. Well, Apply to this situation. You can't expect a different result if you're not willing to try new things and you're not willing to pivot and you're not willing to fail. And you're not, you're not, if you're afraid of failure, you're afraid of success. And I think that, you know, every entrepreneur and every artist and every, you know, person in the creative industries is that you're not going to get it right the first time, the third time, the fourth time, maybe the fifth time. The key is, is to get up and to take those lessons learned. And eventually, eventually, if you keep doing it, you find a formula that works. And I believe that we found a formula that works. And we're gonna to continue to hone that formula. We're gonna to continue to build that formula and cultivate that formula to make Art of Noise not only just a household local name, but a national and international. International, that's right, mm -hmm. international. Absolutely.
for a little over half a century, D.C. was known, a lot over, about 60 years, 60 plus years, D.C. was known as a chocolate city. But as of 2011, it's no longer, let the Census Bureau tell it, it's no longer a chocolate city. In the art world, art world has never been chocolate. Uh, uh, folks of color make up about 20% of people leading the galleries and museums here in D.C. Only 20% are of color, 80% are white folks. That is right. In a CNN interview, uh, and, and you or your wife, uh, co-owner, made a point that empowers Black artists in my eyes and empowers gallery owners here in D.C. to maintain the essence of Chocolate City. You stated, our common ground is that we're elevating artists who happen to be Black. I love that. Thank you. Uh, would you unpack that statement a little bit for us? Uh, being a black man in a currently gentrifying neighborhood um, was the ammunition behind that statement. And um, it's the understanding that sometimes putting the word black and black owned uh, in front of in front of a business or in front of things either attracts people, but it also deters people. And I wanted to say something to say along the lines of is that you're going to see beautiful art regardless, you know, and you're going to even be more excited and more appreciative and more astonished that it was made by a black person. Is that I don't want you to look at this art and say, oh, this was made by a black person. I want you to look at this piece of who made this. And then you're going to find out who made this. And, and that's my mantra for Art of Noise and the art that I want to put on the walls and the art that I want to show here is that, yes, don't just look at the artist, look at the art. The artist is just the icing on the cake. I want you to understand and appreciate the work. Yeah. If that makes sense. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, so, you know, we, we, I am a black man, I'm a proud black man. And I, and I say that every time, every chance, every every opportunity I get, I, I wear my blackness proud, you know? Uh, but at the same time, it's a chess move and not checkers and understanding that sometimes to get everybody in the door, you know, uh, we have to be wordsmiths and we have to be, and we have to be creative and we have to be, be, be willing to, 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 to sometimes put other faces and other things in front, you know, so that they, you know, other people feel comfortable and at ease and being in your space. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, not sacrificing who you are and what this space is ultimately meant to do. to have to, uh, to manage. I do recall as I moved through the neighborhood in Petworth and surrounding Petworth, so many signs that say Black Lives Matter. So it just causes me to wonder about why a person might feel some type of way about seeing a sign that says Black owned. When I think, wait, isn't there a Black Lives Matter sign in your yard or in someone else's yard? down the block? Are you not a person 
who is saying Black Lives Matter online. Well, I, I think I think I think the reality is that that saying has become more performative um, than anything else, uh, and I think other people are saying it to appear as an ally or allyship or to say, hey, I'm good. I'm one of the good ones. Um, you know, I, I have three black friends, therefore Black Lives Matter. You well, know? you and your three black friends need to roll up to Art of Noise. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree. I, too. <laughs> and I mean, it's, 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 you know, saying, saying Black Lives Matter and, oh, there's a black owned business. You know, Black-owned businesses are trending right now, right? So anything Black-owned, you put Black-owned in front of something, you know, it's going to get it's going to get the hits on social media or on the internet. Um, but what about these live streets, not just the internet streets? What about you know these streets and that's, that we're and that's, walking and that's down? Where, and, and that's where and that's where it gets particularly tricky because I've had these conversations with non-Black people in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And I've said, you know, you talking to me is cheap. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you coming to a free community production doesn't mean anything. You know, uh, what means something is you actually patronizing my business. That's you right. know, you actually paying uh, for a piece of art, which some have. I will say that some in the neighborhood have, but they understand and they get it. And they want to promote and celebrate and collect the arts through Art of Noise. Um, but it's also like, hey, if you can't afford the art, you can do something here, you know? And I put people on notice. I said, hey, don't, don't, don't just tell me I'm doing a great job or doing something. Do something here. And Let's you know you're doing a great job. You don't need Thank the you. head pat. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, listen. I'm like, let's figure out how to do something together. How can we do something here? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like, how can you do something here? How can you really physically and reality and tangibly promote a black business? You know, uh, as opposed to saying, I think what you're doing is great. Moments of love. Anyway. By the Moments group artists. Moments in love. Oh my gosh, let me get it all the way right. Moments (laughs) in love. Yes, by the group Art of Noise. Inspired the name of the space, Art of Noise. What songs bring you joy? I would say, uh, I'm a big Roy Ayers fan. So um, anything Roy Ayers puts out brings me joy. Um, I'm talking like, Everybody loves the sunshine. Mm-hmm. Brings me joy. Um, mm-hmm. um, even some of his lower, well, lesser known stuff like um, "Want You" and "Don't You Say No," and you know stuff like that brings me joy because it's more areas. Uh, even Frankie Beverly, "Joy and Pain," mm-hmm. "Golden Time of Day," "Happy Feelings." I, I got to stop every time I hear "Happy Feelings." I gotta, I just gotta, just gotta take it in. You know, and it just puts me in a good place. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say um, a good joy song for me would probably be uh, Gary Bartz, who's a jazz musician. Music is my sanctuary. And 
that puts me in a good place because I love music, I love art, and music is a, definitely my sunshine. Mm -hmm. Thank you for putting this on to that. Well, we unfortunately have to wrap up our conversation. We, of course, could spend much more time chopping it up. So we want to thank you for joining us here on The Dow Project and sharing Absolutely. so many beautiful stories about resilience, about art, about community. We really appreciate that. Tell us, where can we find you in DC and on the socials? Okay, so our address our physical address is 821 Upshur Street, Rear. Emphasis on the rear. All right, so you put that on in your GPS, it'll bring you right behind through the alley, right back to us. Uh, 821 Upshur Street is the Mexican restaurant on Upshur Street. Uh, they get more of our customers than they like, but they love it. <laughs> <laughs> People can visit Thursday, Friday, and Saturday from 12 noon to 6 p.m. And uh, my social media, so my Instagram is Art of Noise DMV. So that's A R T O F N O I Z E D M V. Uh, my Facebook is Art of Noise. Same thing with the noise with the Z. My Twitter is Art of Noise DMV 17. And my website is www.artofnoisedmv.com. It's always noise with a Z, not a S. Noise with a Z. Well, thank you again for your hospitality, your time, your thoughts, your wisdom. And we look forward to seeing you at 821 Upshur Street rear yes. check in out that in person yes. masked so. up to <laughs> check out that beautiful art on the wall thanks again to adrian ferguson for chatting with us art of noise fills a distinct void and need for locally created art and culture here in the district yes indeed i'm looking forward to making it back to the gallery art of noise is a vibe and I'm glad Adrian joined us for a conversation that Isaac Hayes and Marvin Gay pick that he referenced will find their way to our TDPIG somehow. So since we were talking about reading, just kidding, we weren't talking about reading, but our book selection this month is a twofer. Maurice Carlos Ruffins, The Ones Who Don't Say They Love You, and We Cast a Shadow. I went camping last weekend and read We Cast a Shadow in the Woods. It gave me the willies and you'll have to read it to understand why. Yeah, the book's definitely a page turner for me. Join us on IG Sunday, October 31st at 7 p.m. for the book talk. Remember, resistance is a highway with many lanes. Trust the process. You will find yours. I'm changing it up in the spirit of Adrian Ferguson. Nice. Take care, folks. <clears throat> Take care, folks. Oh. Let him clear his throat. <laughs> Okay, peace.